Hello. Hi. Welcome to Truly Fabulously Monstrous. A podcast about true crime and weird stuff. I am half of your host, Hattie James. I am your other half of your host, Ace. Hi, Ace. Hi, Hattie. How are you? I am good. Uh, One of my cats is sitting behind me, just wailing away on their little plastic ball tower thing. So any crashing noises you hear behind me is that. She gets very excited with it and then just... Uh, as she plays with it, it migrates across the room. Because <laughs> it's not anchored down to anything. It's just lightweight plastic. <laughs> I did not have any costumes for them this year because they're both too big for the costumes I have. So. Get, get like the, the ones that are for like Yorkshire Terriers. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I got to do. Um, I did not do that this year. Maybe next year. If you hear any noises, it's because I am unable to stop myself from eating these pumpkin seeds. <laughs> pumpkin seeds are delicious. And I made these myself, and I'm so excellent. Proud. They're the best kind. We scooped the pumpkins out of the, the pumpkins we carved, and I sat <laughs> you for an hour. Scooped meticulous. out their innards. <laughs> and I spent over an hour meticulously separate. I put gloves on because this is gross, but meticulously separating each pumpkin seed from the guts. And my husband washed them and put them out to dry overnight, and then I tossed them in seasoning and in oil. What kind and, of seasoning? Um, minced garlic, salt, pepper, and smoked paprika. Oh, hell yeah. Sounds and delicious. So mm-hmm. And they're so good. Cruncha muncha. <laughs> Beatles on my sub. <laughs> it lives rent free in my head. It has for like 15 years. Um, well, I mean, everyone's got that like jingle from their childhood that lives rent free in their head. Um, mine was a local furniture store where I live that had one of the wildest jingles just in sheer length. Like it had verses. Like, I remember the first verse that lives rent-free in my head, and then I'll sing that, and then someone's like, oh yeah, I remember that. I'm like, do you remember the other three verses of it? Because it was a long radio commercial. And I thought that story went out of business, but today, when our mutual friend and I went up to the new Target, we were driving through this town. Like, I haven't driven through this part of that area of South Jersey for years now, and I drove by, I was like, that's the furniture store. That's the furniture store from the jingle. That's the one. I thought they went out of business. There's still one left. And then I got really excited and I immediately started texting my parents and my sister and was like, do you remember the furniture store with the weirdest radio jingle of all time? Okay. They still exist. (laughs) I love those kind of jingles. Just the ones that just, you're like, what was, what was your thought process through this? And then it's like, well, that's in my head forever. Like the one, there was the one that ended up being a TikTok sound, the Oh, 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 Riley's auto Auto parts. parts. Yeah. (laughs) Is that I'll have the Stanley Steamer jingle in my head until the day I die. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God, what's the other one? All of the uh, free credit report songs. Uh, I have a structured settlement and I need cash now. It's called JG Wentworth. Yeah, um, cash now. <laughs> um, my education yeah. connection helps me find the right college for free. Yeah. Forgot about that one. Yeah. Oh yeah, the uh, free credit report. All the variations of the free credit report. Yeah, <laughs> and everyone has the the version they remember. Yeah. Anyway, this episode it is my turn to tell a crime, and it is the last crime in the last episode of the season. It is yes, season three. Yes. Yes. yes and then we will go on hiatus, <laughs> and we will let you know when we're back. Yes. No sooner than when we let you know, and you don't know when we know because we don't know. Because <laughs> we don't know yet. Um, 
All right, so um, this is not as real hardcore as the last uh, season finale I did. Or if, um, if you remember the season two finale, I covered Edwin Wrist and the, the Feather Heist. Not going to go that hard again. <laughs> Reassuring, because that bummed me out. Okay, so today I am going to tell you a lighthearted little murder. Oh, a lighthearted murder. A lighthearted murder. I'm going to tell you about uh, Christiana Edmonds, the chocolate cream killer. I'm sorry, the what? The chocolate cream killer. That sounds like a bad porno. Proceed. Don't ruin candy for me. (laughs) I am going to mute the mic so that I may munch on my seeds like popcorn. You take it away. All right. So Christiana Edmonds was born in October of 1828 in Kent, England, in the seaside town of Margate. She was the oldest child of William Edmonds, who was the architect who designed Margate's Holy Trinity Church, as well as the Margate Lighthouse. And her mother was uh, Anne Christiana Byrne, who was the daughter of a Royal Marines captain. And she was the sister of a fairly prominent English solicitor and antiquary, John Southerden Byrne. They have nothing to do with the story. I was just letting you know who her parents were. She had three younger siblings. Her sisters, Mary and Louisa, were born a year apart from each other when Christiana was four and five, respectively. And then she had a younger brother, Arthur, who was born when Christiana was 13. Uh, Despite being a well-off family, uh, mental illness was an issue present for nearly all of the family members because, as we all know, the possession of money plays no role in whether or not someone's brain chemistry will do the thing or not. Her father, William, um, I don't know, we shouldn't be laughing, this part's not funny at all, but that's how I cope with things that make me uncomfortable. Her father, William, began suffering from a decline of his faculties in the early 1840s, shortly after the birth of his son, and he was eventually confined to a private asylum in 1844 for a short time. He showed some mild improvement. He was sent home after a year, but ultimately was sent to the Peckham Lunatic Asylum in 1845, where he would remain until his death two years later in 1847. That's so sad. It is sad, yeah. Her brother Arthur suffered from an undisclosed form of epilepsy as a child, and he also exhibited some violent tendencies in his youth, and so he was sent to Earlswood Asylum when he was a teenager, and he eventually died there at the age of 25. No! One of her sisters, and none of the sources I could find would say which one of her sisters, allegedly died by suicide during this time as well. So all in all, not a great family history. Uh, not good genetics. Not, yeah. Uh, and then during this time, uh, Christiana had been sent to a private boarding school, and upon the death of her father and the completion of her studies, she returned home to look after her widowed mother and her remaining sister. So in the 1860s, Christiana and her family moved to a terraced house in Brighton. By this point, she is in her 30s. She is unmarried and she is living at home looking after her mother in the 1800s. In other words, she's a washed up middle-aged woman past her prime. A spinster. A spinster, if you will. She was later described by uh, Historic UK as, quote, an ill-tempered waspish spinster. Well, that's but fucking rude. It is waspish? rude. Waspish? It's also, I don't think, very true because uh, later during the later court proceedings that would happen that she would be a part of, she was described as a lady of fortune, tall, fair, handsome, and extremely prepossessing in demeanor. So I don't know. The like the court stenographer was like, yeah, she's cute. What the, what does waspish mean? You know, I don't know if that's referring to what she looked like or how she acted. If it's how she acted, I mean fair. But if it's what she looked like, that's fucking rude. 
You don't mention that about someone. I can see the ill-tempered part just based on some of her later actions. Uh, either way, she was uh, living with her mother and she was super hot, but since she was over 30 and unmarried, I guess she was a societal failure. Oh, okay. But I was like, I don't know. That's what I got from those dose. They're like, well, this is Wasp is Spencer. I mean, yeah, she was hot, but like, what good is that when she's over 30? God. So if they're calling her Waspish, but they're saying that she's hot, then that means I'm guessing Waspish was based on her personality, in which case Probably. it's not as rude. Because if she was, uh, if you're going to tell me later things to, that, to say that she was ill-tempered, then yeah, I'm going to say pretty accurate. Yeah. So either way, she was living with her mother, and in 1868, she began seeing a new physician named Dr. Charles Beard, with whom she quickly began having an affair. Oh, no. <laughs> Doctor, patient, like, that's a conflict of interest. It is a conflict of interest. I don't know how in deep, like, how deep the affair went, because uh, the two of them definitely exchanged a series of uh, spicy love letters, and the Berkshire County Record Office affirmed that Dr. Beard returned Christiana's affections in his reply letters, and that they definitely carried on some level of, like, romantic relationship over the following year. However, Dr. Beard refuted the claims that there was anything physical to their affair, but that they had like an emotional connection so it's entirely possible to conduct an affair with someone without getting physical with them emotional intimacy is a thing and you can conduct an affair with just that it's very possible that they just sent spicy letters to each other yeah but the emotional and just intimacy still creates a conflict of interest and it I does think it's uncomfortable and i am not a fan and he should be ashamed of himself because he was the one in the higher power and yeah. Over the following year, the two of them continued to exchange emotionally charged letters and maintain some level of affair until the summer of 1870 when Dr. Beard decided that he wasn't really into it anymore and he ended their affair. Christiana seemed to, she accepted the reality of this. And uh, at one point when Dr. Beard was away on business, she even went to his house to visit his wife to say that there were no hard feelings. And she even brought a gift of chocolates for his wife from a local candy shop to say, hey, no hard feelings. Isn't that so nice of her? And I take it the wife had no idea about the affair. I don't know. None of the sources said it. I'm guessing she found out about it at some point. I think it would have been an extremely petty thing. And I live for it. If some guy was like, you were having an, like you were the other woman and they cut it off and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go to his wife and be like, hey, no hard feelings about the fact that I was like totally seeing your husband behind your back. No hard feelings. No hard feelings. Isn't that just, she's the bigger person, obviously. Obviously. Well, I mean- not really, because the following day, Mrs. Beard became violently ill. She recovered from her illness. And oh, this, no. This might have been the end of the story if it weren't for the fact that over the next few months, there started to accumulate more cases of people in the Brighton area mysteriously falling ill. So over the next few months, people would fall ill after consuming chocolates from a very specific local confectioner named John Maynard, who ran a candy store called J.G. Maynard's. Uh, But for the first few months of 1871, no one had died. People would just like get chocolates from this place. They would get kind of sick and they'd be like, oh, that's great. Must be a bad batch. Okay, whatever. And then they'd get better. However, in June of 1871, Sidney Albert Barker was a four-year-old on holiday with his family. No! His no! uncle 
You better not. You better not. Sorry. His uncle Charles Miller bought a container of chocolate creams from Maynard's to share among the family. Charles Miller became ill and ultimately recovered. However, his nephew Sidney did not and was later confirmed to have died from strychnine poisoning. No. Yeah. During the coroner's inquest, uh, one in which Christiana Edmonds appeared as one of the witnesses who also had become ill after eating confections from Maynard's, it was determined that while the strychnine was discovered in the chocolates bought by Miller, there was no proof of intent to cause harm found by the court. The verdict was ruled as an accidental death, and John Maynard was exonerated of blame. He destroyed all of the stock that he had, lest any more of it be contaminated. Shortly after the inquest into the death of Sidney Barker, there were three anonymous letters sent to Sydney's family encouraging them to press charges against John Maynard for Sydney's death and that there was more to what happened that was revealed in the court. This would appear to be true as the random poisonings in the area not only continued during the summer, but escalated in nature. Uh, and that is when Dr. Beard and his wife decided, you know, the Brighton area is getting a little bit much. This is a little bit much for us. And we're going to move to Scotland. Before they had a chance to leave, they were delivered a parcel of a plum cake and other fruits that were, you guessed it, laced with strychnine. This time, Dr. Beard reported his suspicions about the identity of the poisoner to the local police. And eventually, Christiana Edmonds was arrested on suspicion of being the poisoner. Dr. Beard said he had suspected Christiana had been responsible for his wife's illness the first time that she had showed up at the house with chocolate. Then why didn't he say anything? He didn't say anything because he didn't have proof of it. He was also concerned that his affair would come to light. That's selfish. It is selfish. And a child died because of it. So good job, Dr. Beard. Way to be a doctor. So what had been happening? This is this is what had been happening. Uh, Christiana Edmonds had been Obtaining the chocolate creams from the Maynard's candy store, she would take them home with her. She would lace them with strychnine, like she would inject them with rat poison, basically. And then she would either return them to the vendor, or she would just kind of like leave them in public places where people would be like, ooh, free candy. And then they would just be like consumed by the public, none the wiser. After the death of Sidney Barker, rather than scaling back, she actually increased her poisoning campaign and started sending parcels of chocolates to prominent families in the area, as well as sending parcels of chocolates to herself in order to claim that she was also a victim of the poisoner. And this was likely to deflect suspicion from her and onto Maynard, the chocolatier. When she heard that the Beards were getting ready to move to Scotland, she decided, okay, Time for my magnum opus, my grand round of poisoning. On August 8th, she left Brighton to spend a few days in Margate to deal with some family matters. Then she caught a train to London before she returned to Brighton on August 10th. And on that train with her in the mail delivery was six parcels of poison confectionery and cakes, one of which was addressed to Mrs. Emily Beard, another of which was addressed to Christiana herself, again, to throw suspicion off herself. Her handwriting matched that on the address labels of the parcels from the train. So that's when the police felt that they had definitely arrested the right person. Rookie mistake. Just saying. (laughs) Her initial hearing was supposed to be held in Brighton, but because it was such a high local interest in the case, her trial was moved to the Old Bailey and it wasn't scheduled to be heard until January 1872. 
Initially, she was only going to be charged with the attempted murder of Mrs. Beard, but later charges were brought against her as evidence proved she had sent all the other poison chocolates. So she was also charged with the murder of Sidney Barker. During the trial, the prosecution explained the facts of the case that I had set out earlier, that she had bought the chocolates from Maynard herself, or she would send, like, errand boys to buy them, as well as she would send errand boys to buy the rat poison from chemists. She would inject the chocolates with the strychnine and then return them to the shop or leave them around for people to find. How did she return them to the shop? That wasn't really clear. Probably once or twice, she probably could have pulled off returning them, returning them. Like, this isn't what I wanted. I'm like returning them. Give me my money back. She couldn't have done that like more than once or twice without like being weirdly suspicious. So I'm guessing by returning them, she means like sneaking them back onto display shelves or... That makes sense. Yeah. Kind of like the person that tampered with all the Tylenol. They just kind of like put them back on the shelves. An oddly similar story. Yeah. No motive was readily offered by the prosecution. Here are some possibilities. Possible that Christiana was just experimenting with dosages before launching her second assault on Mrs. Beard in an attempt to get rid of her as competition for the affection of Dr. Beard. Another possibility is that it was a long campaign to get John Maynard blamed for her initial attempted poisoning of Mrs. Beard. Like, like, oh, it was this confectionery person who was just randomly poisoning people. Um, it's also possible that she just wanted to cause some mayhem and polite, bright in society and then just kind of sit around and watch the fallout. That's where like the ill-tempered comes in. She just kind of was like, what mayhem can I get up to today? And then um, that, the- That's uh, less ill-tempered and more chaotic evil. Yeah. Um, I am guessing because a lot of the people would just kind of get sick and then get better. I don't think she initially- the, like, the only person she sent out to maybe kill is the doctor's wife. I don't think she intended to kill anyone else. So, like, I'm assuming the reason Sidney died, obviously, because he was a small child, and a small child is less likely to be able to process a small dose of strychnine that an adult might be able to just kind of shake off. One kid eating one strychnine-laced candy would be the equivalent of an adult eating, like, an entire box. Entire box, Yeah. So her defense counsel set up, they went for the easiest events they could grab, which was defense of insanity, which was backed up by the testimony of her mother, who spoke about the family tendency for mental instability. She detailed the decline of her husband, her son, and her daughter, all who suffered from various mental illnesses that made it difficult for them to maintain consistent quality of life that was aligned with like upper class society. At first, she was determined to be guilty and she was sentenced to death. Uh, but then she was examined by uh, Dr. William Orange, who was the head doctor of Broadmoor at the time. And it was concluded that she was unable to understand that what she had done was wrong. And the Home Secretary overturned the jury's guilty verdict and declared her to be not guilty by reason of insanity. And she was to be sent to Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum, where she would remain until her death in 1907 at the age of 78. So she outlived everyone in her family. Like she outlived uh, her mother. And she had, obviously she outlived her father and her sister and her brother, and she outlived her remaining sister. She died an old lady. The motive that she was on a poisoning spree to cause mayhem in polite society might have had some merit because during her time in Broadmoor, Edmonds had 
kind of just a consistent streak of mischief making. Not to the point where she was poisoned. She wasn't poisoning people when she was in Broadmoor like that. She didn't do that. Uh, she did, however. I hope the fuck not. <laughs> she did, however, find uh, a lot of delight in just like provoking other patients into arguments. She passed secret of correspondence. She had contraband goods in her room. She was just kind of generally chaotic. Dr. Orange wrote about her that she, quote, she deceives for the pure love of deception. Beautiful yeah. <laughs> Despite her love of chaos, it seems that other than that, she led a quiet life in the asylum. She eventually became one of the inmates who was trusted by the staff to like to do jobs and projects. She was allowed access to sewing supplies to help mend asylum clothes. That's she was pretty chaotic. Ch- yeah, but the person who started fights and hit contramental, we're gonna we're gonna trust you to do jobs. Okay, we're gonna sure. trust you with sewing supplies, you know, big old needles and scissors and stabby things. Yeah, no, thank you. I would I would not RIP, but I'm different. I would not it, in charge of it, I mean it it went okay. She was like, Cool, yeah, I'll do this job. Well, I mean, this was also like likely due to her like familial social standing. She was from a well-off family. She was allowed to she was allowed to uh partake in leisure activities, including croquet. So include once again, they're like, have a mallet. <laughs> have a mallet that you can hit someone with. Go balls to throw. Heavy wooden balls that can do damage and a mallet to hit them with. You're fine. It's like the last murderer that you covered who was in an asylum. Like, oh, you're rich, so you can just do all this stuff that we don't let anyone else in the asylum do. Yep. That's the privilege of wealth. She was also allowed access to makeup and hair care things. And ultimately, she ended up being kind of a fixture at this asylum. And she was in the good graces of both patients and staff. And everyone liked her. And like I said, she lived there until she died at the age of 78. And that's my case. That's Christiana Edmonds, the chocolate cream killer. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what to think of it. Uh, yeah, it's... Very I... well done. Very succinct. If she With hadn't killed a kid, I would have liked her. Like, it, it's, yeah. that's the... I was like, oh, you killed a kid. Like, it very likely was not your intention to kill a kid, but you still killed a kid. I should list my sources. Uh, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Murder in the UK. The Berkshire Records Office uh, had a... Actually, that's where I got a lot of information. Alcation had a good article. Christiana Edmonds, The Victorian Poisoner. Women's History Network, Case of the Chocolate Cream Killer. Yeah, that's that is, that is my sources. So. Very interesting. Very well done. I did not like the story, but I liked your presentation of the facts. Thank you. I hardly ever like the stories you tell. I just I like mean, the way yeah, you... yeah, murder's never good. Da-da-da-da-da-da. What tune is that? Because there was a TikToker that you and I follow who did that tune at the end of one of his last yeah. videos. What the hell tune is that? I, I don't know what the official tune is. All I know is I know I've heard it in lots of... Like vaudeville performances, it's like the end of a vaudeville thing, or like the end of a punchline for a vaudeville gag. Anyways, that was a good uh, ending to season yeah. three. Where can people find us? Uh, if people have questions, comments, concerns, stories they want to tell us, sweet nothings they want to creepily type to us as if whispering in our ear, we might ignore the last Ooh. ones, but you can always email them to trulyfabulouslymonstrous at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram at trulyfabulouslymonstrous. And if you want to check us out on Twitter, we are on Twitter at TFabMonsterPod. We don't know when we're going to be back. We will be back.
Excellent. Well, you'll know when we post it. So, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, season four, check us out then. We'll be there. We hope you will too. Bye.